few things have gripped the American public over the last couple of years than this topic of justice. You see on the screen, the gospel and justice we're talking about today. The summer of 2020, in many ways, brought us to the fever pitch. Some were telling us that the refusal to wear masks was injustice. Others said that shutting down the economy and losing jobs there was the actual injustice. Still other voices were telling us that police brutality and situation with George Floyd and others like him was the, the real injustice we needed to be focused on. We, we moved forward a couple of months, and some told us that the storming of the Capitol on January 6th was in defense of justice, while others said that was the classic denial of true justice. Zoom forward even a little bit further and think of the Dobbs decision at the Supreme Court, and some told us that, that created injustice in women's health care, while other voices were telling us that justice was finally served in protecting the unborn. So all of that to say, you look at any number of issues, and it turns out that justice is pretty complicated, and it seems that as an American people, we're not entirely sure what it is and what it's not. There's a columnist at the LA Times, Jonah Goldberg, recognized this, did a deep dive on trying to figure it out, and here was his conclusion. He said this, I put on my prosecutor's helmet, and I mined the literature for an agreed-upon definition of social justice. What I found was one deposit after another of fool's gold. From labor unions to countless universities to gay rights groups to even the American Nazi Party, everyone insisted they were champions of social justice. It's kind of hard to figure out what exactly is going on when this word is being used. It's actually a deeply biblical word but we hear it used in so many different ways in our culture today. What does the gospel have to say about justice? And today I hope to shed some biblical light on this very challenging topic. I want you to know at the beginning my goal was not to lay out any kind of a comprehensive political system, but rather to focus on telling you what does the Bible say on this topic. Now even with that limitation in place, there's still probably more material this week that got edited and left in my office than what usually happens on a Sunday. So uh, if you've got questions, I'd be happy to talk after the service or through the week, and especially this topic tends to, to generate some more nuanced questions at times, and uh, I welcome those conversations as they come up. Uh, I, I will say, if you missed last week, I'd encourage you to go back on the podcast and listen to that as we talked about human dignity, as there, there's a tie between justice and dignity, and we looked at what it means to be made in the image of God, that humanity reflects and represents God, and, and that may be a helpful sermon to listen to in light of this when they sort of go in tandem together. I do want to say, if you're new with us this morning, uh, that you're here for the final sermon in this series, Not Your Own where we've been looking at the dominant cultural narrative of our day, that you should be true to yourself. You should look into your own heart, find your own truth, and live out that truth. What we've tried to do is take that narrative and stack it up against biblical truth on a whole host of topics. Now in week seven, we come to the end where we've seen, what does that look like when it comes to identity, sexuality, marriage, work, finances, human dignity, and now justice? And seen in each successive week that if I look into my own heart for my own truth and try to live that out, it is an utterly bankrupt way of living. 
And it sounds pretty good in movies that we listen to or songs we hear on the radio or articles that we read or wherever we're at, but we've, we've seen over and over, it just doesn't work no matter how good it sounds. We must go to the standard of truth, to God himself and his word. We've said on numerous occasions, the most important thing we can do is get a right view of God and then go from there. That's why we continue to read Isaiah 40 over and over. I was even struck this week, you know, I've heard it the last seven weeks, just like you have, that phrase there where he says, we're like grasshoppers. You know, we, we like to flatter ourselves and think of ourselves as maybe bigger and more influential than we are. And God says, no, I bring the princes to nothing. And I look out and I'm excited that you are fulfilling your work on this earth. But in comparison to me, you're like a grasshopper. It's good for us to be reminded of how small we are. And we hope this series has been helpful in that of getting a right view of God, a right view of ourselves. Now, as we start to zoom in on the topic of justice, uh, given the difficulty of defining the word, I thought maybe it would be helpful if we did start with the definition. There's, there's many you can find. Uh, here's what we want to use as our kind of definition and even big idea this morning. Biblical justice reflects the character of God by caring for the vulnerable and pursuing right relationships. And if you're taking notes, I'll encourage you to write that down as we'll continue to kind of uh, tease that out throughout the, the sermon this morning. But biblical justice starts by reflecting the character of God and by caring for the vulnerable and pursuing right relationships. And so from an outline standpoint, we'll see the, the urgency of justice and then the standard of justice and then a few kinds of justice and lastly, the generosity of justice. So the urgency, standard, kinds of justice, and then the generosity of justice that is uh, supposed to come. All right, start point one, the urgency of justice. What we understand as Christians is that our thinking must be driven by the Bible. That should not be a controversial statement, although sometimes it is. And as we look at our Bibles from Genesis to Revelation and see the entire thing, we'll see few topics receive the same level as, of urgency as justice. It's very important to God. Let me show you this from several passages. Isaiah 1, we'll start at. Here's what we read in Isaiah 1, starting in verse 15. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Urgent start. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause, because the faithful city has become a whore, she who was full of justice. Strong words, there's an urgency to justice given in Isaiah 1, or we jump down to Jeremiah chapter 22, one of the other prophets. Here's what we read. Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well. Is not this to know me, declares the Lord. Hear the urgency. What is to know God? In part, to do justice. Or Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, again, we see the urgency of justice. He has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, 
and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. There's an urgency. What does the Lord require? Not suggest, not kindly advise. What does he require? That we do justice. Return to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. So to talk about the urgency of justice, just to review a couple of these passages, is to say that the weightier matters of the law are doing justice. And what does the Lord require of us? That we do justice, Micah 6. And what does it mean to know God, Jeremiah 22? To do justice. You see, doing justice is central to the Christian life. Doing justice is not something that's reserved for the spiritual tryhards. This is not something you have an option to opt out of as a Christian. You might think of it this way. Everybody's email inbox gets filled up with spam at one point in time or another. Somehow you got subscribed to some list. You don't know how, but it keeps coming. And you're making a judgment at some point to say, I'm tired of hearing about this thing, and it doesn't matter in my life. And when those two things come together, you're tired of hearing about it, and it doesn't matter, you hit that unsubscribe button. Here's what God's saying about justice. As a Christian, there is no unsubscribe option available to you. You must not get tired of hearing about it, and you must not say, this doesn't matter in my life. That's not on the table for us as Christians. Now, I understand with the the challenge around this topic and some of the misdefinitions that are floating around, maybe you've been a little cautious to dive in. Uh, And so what I want to do is I want to give you just a couple of resources that you might find helpful if you say, Justin, I don't know that I've seen the urgency of justice up to this point in my life, and maybe I should take a little closer look. So here's the first one. You see it on the screen, a little book called What is the Mission of the Church? Kevin DeYoung, Greg Gilbert. It's in our bookstore over there. I don't even want you to read the whole book. There's two chapters that are really helpful. If you say, man, I just want a, a kind of a quick, like I need to do a little more of a deep dive on that. That's a really helpful two-chapter introduction to say, I need to take a more serious look. If you're, if you're more of a reader and you like to devour books and you're driving a bunch, you do audiobooks, let me give you two more books to read in tandem if you really want to go further. There are two books. You ought to read them kind of side by side. The first one is called Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth. Thaddeus Williams is the author. The second one is by Tim Keller, and it's called Generous Justice. Both helpful books, both take a different angle. You're going to get a little different flavor from each of them. Uh, But what I want to recognize is there is an urgency to pursuing justice that we need to recognize as Christians that flows straight out of God's word and what he's called us to do. I'll give you a couple resources and continue unpacking these things. First point, there's an urgency to justice. We have to pay attention. That brings us then to the second point, the standard of justice. The standard of justice. At the very beginning, we were talking about justice being expanded to include everything from labor unions to trans rights to recycling to reducing carbon emissions. Even the kind of coffee we drink is apparently a justice issue these days. And so it forces us to ask, well, what is the standard we're using to define what it is to be just or unjust? Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 5, God says, if you truly execute justice, the implication being, well, there's an 
untrue, a false way to execute justice. So what is the actual true way? We recognize then that justice is rooted in the character of God. And the character of God comes to us in the revealed word of God. And this is the only standard worth following in our lives. So when when we say that God is just, we're saying this is one of his attributes. He can't cease to be just. He is just. And not just he is just, he's the definition, the standard of justice. To be just is who God is before it's what he does. His action flows out of his character. And God's justice, for God to be just, we understand is very close to the word righteousness. They're slightly different, but they're very similar. So in the New Testament, in the original Greek, there's one word that refers to justice and righteousness. In Greek, it's just a single word. In the Hebrew Old Testament, there's two different Hebrew words. But the point is these, these concepts are closely related when it comes to the character of God revealed in his word. Psalm 68.5 begins to help us see how God identifies himself. He says, Father of the fatherless, protector of widows, is God in his holy habitation. This is who I am, he says. Right? I introduce myself to somebody. I walk up. Hey, my name's Justin. My wife is Emily. I have these three daughters. Lived most of my life in central Indiana. I work at Parkside Bible Church. I'm telling you the important things about me. When God introduces and identifies himself. What does he say? I am father of the father, was protector of the widows. This is who I am in my holy habitation. He's telling you the important things about himself. Or Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 4 says, the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice, just and upright is he. Justice, righteousness right there at the end, together, closely related. So we understand the standard of justice in defining it and in pursuing it, must be God himself. And if I or any preacher begin to to preach from a different standard of what it is for justice or any other topic, I want you to know it is your responsibility to step up and say, no, that is not the right standard. There's only one standard. It is this book right here. We must stick to what his word says at all times, whether it's in season or out of season, whether it's receiving approval from the masses or utter hostility from the masses. But I also want to say this. I'm not merely saying this is the Christian way of thinking about justice and there's other appropriate and valid ways of thinking about justice somewhere else. Because we recognize that if God exists... And if he's the creator and the sustainer of the universe, and if justice is rooted in who he is, then there's no other standard of justice that could actually work. So maybe you're here and you're not a Christian, you're not persuaded of those other things, that God exists and he's creator, sustainer, and all that I listed out. But just think about this for a moment. There was a time when the communist movement was supposed to be a deliverance from injustice. The people can rise up. And yet what we saw in the 20th century was the bloodiest century of all human history with more injustice than any other century because you're embracing the wrong standard. Or you could just look at capitalism itself and see a long history of injustice being driven by greed. But it's a standard of what it is to be just besides God himself. Or you could go back to the ancients Think of the famous uh, book by Plato, his Republic, 
where the main theme of one of the greatest works of literature in Republic is how do we establish a just state? How could that happen? And so you've got Plato and Socrates sort of in dialogue trying to figure out how do we establish the just state? And the conclusion of the matter is this. They say, well, men don't actually want a just state. Because if there was a just ruler who came along, one who was truly just, didn't just appear to be just, do you know what he would do? He would point out their hypocrisies and how they commit injustice. And they would take him outside the city and they would kill him. Now, it's remarkable that that was just 300 years before Christ. And the truly just one did come. And he did point out their hypocrisy, both the religious and the irreligious variety. And they couldn't stand it. And so they took him outside the city and killed him. Human wisdom can get you close to figuring out what is justice, but it cannot get you all the way there. You can look at modern ideologies or the greatest philosophers of all time and recognize there's only one standard for what justice is. It's God and what's revealed in his word. And so that brings us to our third point then, the kinds of justice. The kinds of justice. We we recognize there's a, a richness in the biblical language of what it means to be just and to pursue justice. You've heard perhaps the term social justice, and and you wonder maybe, Justin, you say justice, the cultural term I hear, social justice. Are we talking about the same thing? Are these different things? Maybe think about it this way. Anytime there is injustice, it's going to affect others. It's going to have, you might say, a social dynamic. So to talk about justice that isn't social is like talking about water that isn't wet, Right? They just go together. And so when people start to use the terminology of social justice, one of the questions you ought to ask right off the bat is say, could you tell me what you mean by that term? Because you're going to get a wide array of definitions, and, and sometimes people won't be able to define it at all, but it's important to know, okay, what are we actually talking about here? And then it's critical for you to be able to say, okay, now I remember the biblical definition of justice is this. It reflects the character of God by caring for the vulnerable and pursuing right relationships. That's what we are talking about here. But even within that, there's multiple kinds of justice that the Bible speaks of. And all of them have merit. And what I found is most people tend to have more of a focus on one or two of them and to kind of deny one or two of them or at least look not as favorably towards one or two of them. So let me lay these out for you. The first one, first kind of biblical justice is this, earned outcomes for all. Earned outcomes for all. This is what we're thinking of when you hear people say, justice is you get what you deserve. Maybe as parents, you've said this to your kids, you know, you, you disobey and there's a, a punishment, a consequence. What is justice? You get what you deserve. You get time out. And then mercy is, well, you don't get what you deserve. You, you don't get the time out. And grace is you get something really nice that you didn't deserve, you disobeyed, and so we're going to go get ice cream. You teach your kids justice, mercy, grace on, on that, that kind of a, a framework. And when we only see this kind of justice, this is where you get some of like the, the hardcore law and order types. We just need more justice here, earned outcomes. You get what you deserve, right? We, we think of passages like Romans 2, 6. He will repay each one according to what he's done. Very clearly something taught in the Bible. God will repay according to what we've done. Or 2 Thessalonians 3.10, Paul is writing, and he says, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. You get what you deserve. 
It's clearly something that's being taught in the scriptures. And it's an important part of justice because it protects us from being enablers of lazy and bad behavior. And without this kind of justice, we don't actually lead people towards full maturity. We allow them to re remain at times in infancy. We want to move towards full maturity. So that's a part of justice. It's not the only one, though. So the second part of justice, or the second kind of justice, you might say, is equal treatment for all. Equal treatment for all. And what we have in view here is what sometimes is classified as equality of opportunity rather than equality of outcome. I say equal treatment, let's give equal opportunities to everyone. We can't guarantee people will make good decisions, some will make bad decisions, so we can't control the outcome, some will say, so we focus on equal opportunity and equal treatment. If you only see this part, you end up in a very radicalized form of libertarianism, where you recognize, hey, it might actually be good to have some government regulation on occasion. Um, but here we're thinking of passages like Leviticus 24, 22. You shall have the same rule for the sojourner and for the native. Same treatment, whether you're from here or you're not from here, whether you're an insider or you're an outsider, treat everybody the same. Or Isaiah chapter 1 records a violation of this kind of justice. Isaiah 1.23, here's what we read. Your leaders are always accepting gifts and bribes. They never defend orphans in court or listen when widows present their case. You're not giving equal treatment to everybody. Some of these people get preferential treatment. Some of these people don't. You're not there to listen to them. That's a violation of justice, God says. You need to treat everyone equally. And here's where we start to see this pursuit of right relationships coming into the definition of justice. When, those when you're not treating everyone equally, it's going to tear apart social relationships, critical, key, and necessary relationships. This kind of justice is really important that we, we fight for because the deep impulse of the human heart is not towards equal treatment. With our words, we want to say that, but there frequently, often, is a hypocrisy between what our words say and how our actions play out. Perhaps one of the clearest examples of this is the, the Jim Crow South, where the slogan was separate but equal, and everyone knows it was anything but equal. There's a hypocrisy often between words and actions. Or you could look in Galatians chapter 2, where the apostle Peter is guilty of religious and racial favoritism. He thinks that he's being fair and equitable in how he treats everyone, and Paul shows up and confronts him to his face and says, Brother, you are not living in step with the gospel. This is, this is not okay. You're saying you're doing one thing, but you're not giving equal treatment. So it's a second part of justice that we need to maintain and uphold. But there's a third part of justice that goes beyond equal treatment for all, and it shows special concern for the vulnerable. Special concern for the vulnerable. Sometimes you hear this referred to as distributive justice. And if you don't see the other kinds of justice, you only see this one, you end up going down socialist kind of rabbit trails saying, well, it's just all about redistribution of assets because we see those that are vulnerable and it's critical that we see special concern for the vulnerable, but it's not the only kind of justice the Bible speaks to. Now, that being said, you have to hear this very clearly. 
special concern for the vulnerable is by far the biggest part of the biblical material on justice. Sometimes that's hard in suburban, middle, upper class communities to hear that, but we have to recognize it. Let me show you a few passages. James 1.27, special concern for the vulnerable. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Show special concern for the widows and the orphans in their affliction. Or Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. There's a special kind of call to action. You're going to go above and beyond to see the vulnerable in our midst. and have a special concern for them. And as we start to read more and more of these passages and pay careful attention and take the Bible seriously, there's a, a fourfold sort of category of people that we see, especially in the Old Testament, but also in the New. And we see the widow, the orphan, the sojourner, and the poor. Widow, orphan, sojourner, poor. It's what God identifies as those who are vulnerable. And you see that pattern being continually repeated. And many times you'll see all four of them in the same verse. So Zechariah 7, 9 is a good example of this. We read, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. See all four of those listed right next to each other. Or Deuteronomy 27, verse 19. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And all the people shall say, Amen. So there's these four categories that are highlighting those who are vulnerable. And those who are vulnerable might change from one culture to another. Right? So today we might expand that to think of, well, the elderly or refugees or migrant workers or single moms, or the preborn, or the disabled, or the abused. And that list could expand significantly, but we're, the principle is saying, where do we see people who are vulnerable, vulnerable in our midst and show special concern for their needs to protect, defend, and stand up for them? So why does God say this is what it is to do justice, to be just, to seek him out? Do you remember what we said before? It flows out of his character. It's who he is. Psalm 146, verses 7 and 9, you see it's flowing right out of the character of God. The Lord executes justice for the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widows and the fatherless. And so if we're here to reflect and represent God then to do justice will flow out of his character and his action, and we will reflect who he is and represent what he's seeking. That's what it means to do justice. And so it's important for us to see this kind of fullness to the biblical term of justice. There's many aspects to it, and sometimes we focus more on one than the other, and you need to see the richness here. To say, yes, is it talking about equal treatment for all? Yes, absolutely. But it also goes beyond that, and it does say more to us and makes some demands upon our lives and requires us to be generous, which brings us to the fourth and the final point, the generosity of justice. The generosity of justice. Here's what we mean. 
think most Americans get the concept of charity being a good thing. It's good to be generous where we can. But what the Bible does further in these justice conversations is it takes it another level up. It says that generosity and charity and charitable giving, it's not just a nice add-on from the goodness of your heart. No, it says generosity and justice is actually a requirement. It's not just something you do because you're a good person. This is actually what God requires of us. Proverbs 19 says that if you're generous to a poor man, you're actually lending to the Lord. Proverbs 14 says that if you insult a poor man, you're actually insulting his maker. Jesus in Matthew 23 says the way that you treat the vulnerable in your midst is actually how you're treating me. You see, Jesus says, if I I were in your midst right now and, and I was hungry and thirsty and needing clothes and Jesus was sitting right there on that pew, nobody in this room would say, oh, it's sort of optional that I bring him a water bottle. We say, no, I must do that. It's a requirement. And the point he's making is when you see the vulnerable in your midst as well, it's not just a nice add-on to say, oh, I've got some extra water I can share. It's actually a requirement. Job 31, this very fascinating passage where Job says, if, I, if I've withheld bread from the poor, if I've withheld clothing from the naked, if I've made money my security, if I've done those things, then I would be judged Job says, because it's a requirement. In other words, to say it this way and try and sum it up in a clear and succinct way, failure in radical generosity, injustice to the vulnerable, isn't just being stingy, it's actually being unjust. We want to say, well, this person's a little stingy, they're kind of a tightwad, they're a bean counter. And God's saying, no, 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 this is actually a lack of justice when you fail to be generous. And this is where the series Not Your Own starts to cut strongly against the individualism of the American heart and the American church, where we want to say, I belong to myself. My money belongs to me. I get to decide where it goes. So Justin, don't you know how hard I've worked to earn these things through school all those years where I got kicked to the curb and I picked myself up and I kept after it? Friends, I'm not denying the hard work and the resilience and the persistence that any of us have exhibited. All I'm saying is that to say it belongs to me is a deeply secular thing to say and a deeply American thing to say and not at all a Christian thing to say. God says it belongs to him. He's entrusted it to us. And Deuteronomy 8 says that even the ability to obtain wealth is a gift from God. It's a good little passage to go back to if you're wondering on this point, to read this afternoon, verses about 10 to 20 in Deuteronomy chapter 8. See, we must pay careful attention and recognize where the cultural teleprompters quickly seep in and become the anthem of our heart. Say, this is mine. It belongs to me. God is pressing against that. See, Christians know that everything we have is a gift entrusted to us for a short time with the purpose of being stewarded for God's kingdom. And when you look at a lot of these passages on justice, it speaks about money. You know, if you've lended to a poor man, then you've lended to the Lord. Or Job says, if I made money my security, then I've offended the Lord. 
And it's not that justice is just a matter of, hey, give more to the church, give more to a charity, give more to whatever. The point is that money often reveals where our heart is at. And it's the clearest pointer to where our heart is at. But to actually do justice and show special concern for the vulnerable really requires of us a more holistic approach. And so I might suggest three ways that, uh, that we think about this. Three ways. Think in terms of relief and then development and then reform. Relief, development, reform. Relief is where we're trying to meet immediate needs as they present themselves. So this is what Fast Track was a couple of weeks ago where we came together. There's immediate needs of school supplies. This is the community Christmas project that's coming up where we're saying, hey, there's immediate needs around Christmas and how can we step in and help out right there? Uh, there's all sorts of ways you could think about that. Development is going and thinking kind of strategically a step in front, saying, how can we give people a footing that can lead to a better result? This is where you see a lot of educational scholarships being employed. This is where mentorship programs come in. You see a lot of missionaries that are rescuing people out of the sex trafficking create uh, companies and jobs where they can create jewelry or sew things so that there's development to give them a better footing that leads to a better outcome. It's a lot of the stuff that Compassion International does with orphans, right? And you see there's, there's giving around the Christmas time if you give, you know, a goat or a cow to this community that can help to uh, give them a footing for a better outcome. It's development, the relief, and then development, and then reform, which means we're going to work towards legislative changes that care for the vulnerable. Yes, it means you steward your vote well, but it means you also are going to pay careful attention to how can I write to my uh, representatives? How can I call them? How can I influence change besides once every few years at the ballot? We'd be wise as Christians to say we are going to pursue doing justice by actively engaging in reform of our legislative process and systems. We must see holistically, and, and when you think relief, development, reform, some of these are prone and suited towards individuals saying, I can take action in this way. And some are a little bit more suited towards, hey, let's work with our church in this way. Or let's work with other ministries or other community uh, organizations that can help to develop that. Right? There, there's kind of a, a diversity of ways we seek to enact that. But it's important we think through all of them. Now, what, what can start to happen is you start to lay out these different ways you're supposed to do this yourself, you're supposed to do this with your church, you're supposed to do that with Compassion International, you're supposed to do that with neighborhood fellowship that helps with legal needs downtown. And it starts to pile up all of this, like, do this, do this, do this. And you're saying, Justin, how am I supposed to do all of this on top of my job and caring for my family and evangelizing my neighbors and serving in kids' ministry and going to community group and mowing the grass? and go Where's the time for all of it? How's that supposed to happen? It's a fair question you're raising. So let me suggest, kind of as we start to, start to wrap this up, I want you to do three things I don't want you to do. Three things I don't want you to do. Number one, I don't want you to be Jesus. He's really good at his job. He doesn't need you to do it. And what I mean by that is you can't fix everything. Because the more you start to say, boy, I see the urgency of justice. I'm going to open my eyes and I'm going to see needs in our community and I'm going to recognize where the hurting and the vulnerable are. And maybe I've been oblivious to that. And you start to see the amount of needs 
just in Hendricks County and then in greater Indianapolis, our nation to the ends of the earth, it could be absolutely overwhelming. You recognize I have limits. I can't do everything. I can be involved, but I'm not going to be Jesus. But I can lament to him that I see this injustice and I know it breaks his heart and it breaks mine as well. You might go to Psalm 10 if you want a psalm of lament this afternoon to think about. I can take this to the God of the universe recognizing I have limits. Number one, don't be Jesus. But number two, and this might sound odd for me to say, one of the things I don't want you to do, don't neglect pleasure. Don't neglect pleasure. You see, the book of Ecclesiastes says that you ought to enjoy your work and enjoy your wealth and enjoy your family and enjoy your friends. And it's easy when you see all these needs to say like, man, how could I ever go to Arnie's and spend $16 on a pizza because that $16 could have done so much more around the world. And it destroys the joy and the simple things that God has intended for you to have. So don't let a law of guilt come so heavily that it crushes the joy and the simple things God intends for you. Don't be Jesus. Don't neglect pleasure. But third thing I don't want you to do, don't unsubscribe. Don't unsubscribe from the justice emails. Because just because you can't do everything and just because you ought to enjoy the little things in life God has given, recognize that unsubscribing from doing justice simply is not an option for the Christian. That's not on the table. There's ways to think about it. I gave you a few categories. There's, There's more conversation to be had. But as you assess your life, say, where have I unsubscribed? Where have I said I'm not concerned about that? Or where have I merely given lip service and I'm not actually giving special concern for the vulnerable in our midst? What would action look like? Friends, you have to understand this. The reason you can't unsubscribe from justice is because justice is at the very heart of the gospel. We said it's caring for the vulnerable and pursuing right relationships. And don't you recognize that's exactly what Jesus did? when he came to this earth to care for the vulnerable and pursue a restoration of the most important relationship in the world? To the very heart of what he did, he came in poverty. He was born in a trough. When it came time for his circumcision, his parents gave two pigeons. It means they were the poorest of the poor. As an adult, he would say foxes have holes, birds have nests, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. When he died, he had no possessions. He knew what it was to be impoverished. He knew what it was to suffer injustice. His trial was rigged from the very beginning. But he didn't come just as a model to say, here's what it is to be impoverished or to suffer injustice. No, he actually saved us by becoming poor in our place, by becoming vulnerable in our place. And in this, he showed his radical concern for the vulnerable, the spiritually vulnerable, namely us. And he was radically generous in giving his assets to restore that relationship so that we could be brought back to God because we never would have had the assets to bring ourselves to God. That's what it means to say that justice is at the heart of the gospel. And what James would say in his book of the Bible, he says this, You can't possibly grasp that gospel by faith and look down on a poor person. You can't possibly do it. Because you might see a poor person and think, 
well, boy, they've made bad decisions with their life. They've not worked hard. They've done dumb stuff. And Jesus is looking and saying, well, so did you. And I still came to save you. And I didn't withhold myself. And and you're going to look at the vulnerable in your midst and say, boy, this is going to take a really serious sacrifice of my time and my talent and my treasure. This isn't a quick, you know, 15-minute fix here. I don't know if I want to sacrifice to that level. And Jesus is saying, don't you see the level of sacrifice that it required of me to save you? Friends, maybe, maybe you're here and you're not a Christian and you've never considered this, that the God of the universe took justice so seriously that he would send his only son to this earth to die a death in your place on the cross so that you could be forgiven and have a relationship with him. And Christians, just wrap it up with this. You recognize the more you get to know the heart of God and the action of God in the person of Jesus Christ, you see his radical concern for justice, the more your heart will be changed and the more you will be empowered to pursue justice. It's a clear command of Scripture. We must take it seriously, and we must look to the cross, because without that, we just leave ourselves spinning our wheels without hope, trying to make ourselves feel better. Let's pray.